0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org.
1: If you're new here, uh, my name is Zach. I'm I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we'd love to welcome you if you're new this morning. And uh, we're so thankful that you could join us. We're continuing to work our way through the book of Philippians. Uh, If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And as we've been doing sometimes, not every week, but there are questions uh, that you might want to ask after the sermon. And I'm going to take a couple questions. Um, I don't know if we have that slide Yeah. So if you have that bookmarked on your phone because you've done this before, great. Uh, If not, you can scan that right now with your phone. And as you're listening um, to God's word preached, if you have a question, send it there and uh, I will get it to my phone and I will respond. I'll grab a couple at the end and, and respond to those as necessary. So, well, let's look at Philippians 4 and uh, Jacqueline's going to come and read our text for us this morning from Philippians 4, 4 through 8, 4 through 9.
0: whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the Lord of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord.
1: You know how sometimes when you hear a, a, like a really important speech, um, The way that that is concluded is very important. Uh, I was reading a a speech from Winston Churchill as World War II was was increasing in in intensity uh, in 1940. And, And he's speaking to the people in Britain. The Nazis had taken control of large portions of Europe at this time. And he knew that the British military was probably the only thing standing between complete domination of all of Europe on the part of the Nazis. And he says, he says this to his people in the British Empire. He says, and this is 1940, June 18th. So the, the war had just kind of gotten off the ground, but it was pretty intense at this point. I expect the Battle of Britain is about to begin Upon this battle depends the survival of civilization. Upon it depends our own British life and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into broad sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age, made more sinister, perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. And if he concludes with this, let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties, and so bear ourselves ourselves that if the british empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years men will still say this was their finest hour did you notice what he did there at the very end like those last words are intended to have weight that that leads towards action okay he says remember he says let's brace ourselves for our duties like like like, all right, we gotta, you know, like brace ourselves. There's, there's some, there's some, con, uh, some, extreme intensity coming our way. So we're gonna, we're gonna brace ourselves and bear ourselves. This is what it's going to take. I want you to fight in such a way that you'll be remembered in a thousand years. That's what it's going to take. That's the last thing he says. I think we can all understand how that works, right? You end a, a letter or a speech with something. I, I, if you're going to hear anything, hear this. And I think that's kind of what Paul is doing here as he's kind of rounding third base and, and landing the plane here in the book of Philippians. These are, these are parting words of sorts. It's not the end of the letter, but he's, he's closing in on it. And it's like he's saying, like you hear me say oftentimes in a sermon, like, if you hear anything this morning, hear this. And I think that's kind of what he's doing here in in our text for this morning. And and in our text, we're going to orbit around four words this morning. First, rejoicing. Gentleness. Praying. And thinking. Okay? That's what Paul calls the church then, and us now, too. Rejoicing, gentleness, praying, thinking. Let's start with rejoicing. Look at verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Now, that's not a word we use a lot in, the, in our modern English language. I don't find myself saying, man, I was rejoicing because blah, 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 right? I just don't say that. So I don't want to take it for granted that we all know what this means. It's a very biblical word, though. And notice that he says, Always. And he repeats himself again for emphasis. He says, again, I will say it. Like, there's repetition for the sake of emphasis here. Rejoice, rejoice. So does this mean that Paul, like, this is kind of like how I hear it without thinking about it or studying it. Like, we're supposed to be just happy all the time? Rejoice always, does that mean that we're just happy all the time? I don't think that's what Paul means because just a few verses earlier, he said, man, I'm in tears over these false teachers that are infecting this church. He just said that a couple verses ago. I don't think he means we have to be happy all the time. So what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Let me give you a working definition of rejoicing in the Lord. I think you might have it on the screen here too. This is my... Kind of taking a crack at it. Rejoicing in the Lord means setting my mind on all that Jesus has said and done and fighting to fixate on that over and above my circumstances. Let me read that again. Rejoicing in the Lord means setting my mind on all that Jesus has said and done and fighting to fixate on that over and above my circumstances. Now, notice how I say it's a fight. It's a fight. It's not always easy to rejoice in the Lord when the storm of crazy circumstances envelops us. Right? Remember, this is a church under the pressure of persecution, right? That's the backdrop of this this whole letter. This whole cultural moment that they're in. Paul's sitting in prison. It's a big deal. If one of our elders was thrown in prison for their faith, that would would rattle us as a church. Right? But Paul's not saying, hey, don't worry, be happy. That's superficial. That doesn't have any content, right? Well, why should I not... Uh, why, why should I not worry and be happy? Like that slogan does nothing. It just just a command that we can can uh, feel guilty for not living up to. It has no content. Again, it's it's why he doesn't just say. Here's what I think is most important to see. It's he doesn't just say rejoice. Again, I'll say rejoice. What does he say? Look at, look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Right? So well, that's different than don't worry, be happy. This, is, this has content. This calls to mind certain things. About what? About the Lord. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. That's the most important part. Like there's no rejoicing unless there's in the, the in the Lord part. Meaning, what has God done? What has the Lord done? Who is he? What has he said? Who does he promise to be for his people? Like like when I'm when I'm thinking and remembering this Lord that I believe in, King Jesus, rejoicing eventually is is, is a natural byproduct. Right? Rejoicing in the Lord means setting my mind on all that Jesus has said and done. That's the in the Lord part. And fighting to fixate on that over and above my circumstances. Right? So like this church would be tempted to fixate on their circumstances of our leader, our church planter is in prison. And he's saying, I want you to rejoice, and you can. Even in the midst of this chaos, you can rejoice because you're rejoicing in the Lord. You know the Lord. You know what he's done. You know his promises. So again, it's like stay there rejoicing in who he is and what he's done. And as you meditate on that, rejoicing will come. So first, rejoicing. Let's see what he says next. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. See that in verse 5? Now, there's some debate about the word reasonableness that's translated from the Greek in this particular translation. Other translations have the word gentleness there. Okay, and I I, I think I prefer that, but it's not that big of a deal because as you think about, think about someone who, who you describe as reasonable in your life, and then think about someone who you would describe as gentle, probably a lot of similarities in those people, right? There's a lot of overlap there in those attributes, right? So what he's saying here is, is, like, as you experience this pressure of persecution, the best way to respond is to let this the godly fruit of the spirit of gentleness be on display. Let your gentleness be on display. Well, why would he say that? I mean, I think it's kind of like in our culture we have the phrase grace under pressure. And we intuitively like respect that. That's always something that's said as a compliment. Like in the face of this, they exhibited grace under pressure. That's a really good thing. Like a, a, a composed, under con- self-controlled, not freaking out, not panicking. That's kind of what Paul is getting at here. Like, biblically, we know that we can be gentle, reasonable, gracious, under pressure, even the pressure of persecution. Why? Because our hope ultimately is not in our circumstances. Our hope is in the Lord of our circumstances, right? Our hope ultimately is in Jesus and his return. So that empowers a certain behavior in the midst of the pressure of persecution or in the midst of chaos that whatever we're experiencing in our lives. So what do we have so far? We've got Paul saying, hey, guys, I'm wrapping up this letter. Here's some things, closing words. I really want you to meditate on this. I want you to be people of rejoicing because you know who God is you think about that, and it leads your heart to rejoice. And I want you to be people with grace under pressure, that can exhibit reasonableness, that can exhibit gentleness amidst the chaos. Because that communicates that your hope is not in this world. Your hope is in me. And then thirdly, so rejoicing, gentleness, praying, praying. Look at the end of verse 5 into verse 6. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, lots of reasons... For this ancient church to be anxious, right? We can put ourselves in, in those shoes, imagining one of our leaders thrown in prison for their faith. Be jarring, anxious, worried. Am I next, right? Just meditating on catastrophic outcomes. That's easy to do. Sleepless nights. They're leaders sitting in a Roman prison. What's that mean for us? The people in power, the people that hold the most power are out to get us. That's a, that's a scary feeling. And Paul here has the audacity to say, guys, don't be anxious. Some people might say that's even cruel to ask someone to behave that way. Like I'm just supposed to shut off my feelings Easier said than done, right? Yeah, maybe, but let's, let's focus on n- not what Paul calls them to not do, but on what he calls them to do, right? And I want us to focus on the all-encompassing language here. Look at the all-encompassing language of the words anything and the words everything. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, like that's all-encompassing, but in Everything, like there's an intentional contrast there, right? Anything, everything. Anxiety, about nothing. In light of it, with everything, do what? Not anxiety, but it's what? What does it say? Look at what it says. But in everything, what? By prayer, and supplication, with thanksgiving. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Feel that strong contrast, right? Another way we talk about it biblically is putting off and putting on. Oftentimes the Bible, like people think the Bible is just like stop doing, stop doing, stop doing, stop doing. And there's some of that in the Bible. But it's also stop doing and start doing. Stop and start, put off, put on. And that's seen here as well. We're going to put off anxiety. How? Through prayer and supplication and being thankful, right? So let's just paint some scenarios. A lot of us will, I would dare say all of us, unless you're maybe not old enough yet, you find yourself in some kind of crisis, right? You're old enough, you know what that's like. If you're young enough it's just a matter of time. Like the Marcelinos this week, house fire, it's a crisis, it's a big deal. I got a call, actually a text from my sister this week that um this isn't a crisis, she's fine, but I didn't know that at the time. My mom fell down. And she's 76 and she fell down and she she broke her arm and she hit her head and They didn't know, you know, what the, in the moment, what was going to happen. She's okay now. Um, But I get that urgent text from my sister. Mom fell down, broken arm, hit her head. We don't know what that means. People in our body and and many other people I know, just this ache of of wanting to be pregnant and, and infertility just can't seem to be overcome. And it's this constant kind of struggle that people bear. And we can list 100 other scenarios, right? But here's what I find myself doing. And, and if I'm honest, this is probably what I did this week. If I as I reflect on getting that, I'll just use my own example. The text from my sister about my mom falling down. I get the call that my mom fell down, broke her arm, hit her head, currently at the hospital, immediately anxiety, right? And then the thoughts come in. Well, is, does she have potentially some brain damage? Uh, is she going to need more care, and is this going to lead to not independent living? Um, you know, my sister lives a few blocks away. I live three hours away. I mean, how can we care for my mom, where we live, and what do we do like financially if she has some really high needs as a result of this? Is she going to be able to make it? What if she keeps falling down, and, and she doesn't have, sometimes she falls down and doesn't have someone to check on her, and she just lays there? Like, that's a, that's a horrible to, to think about that, right? Those are just rapid-fire thoughts that you don't even, it's just automatic, right? But see, I think Paul knows that's how we're wired. <clears throat> and he writes this to disciple his people, to care for his people. This is God's word to remind us that though that kind of thing as a habit of living, just the rapid fire, meditating on catastrophic outcomes all the time, can lead to an existence that is unsustainable. And he's calling us to renew our minds with the power of God's word, with the power of God's promises. Like, we we fail to remember the power that's at our disposal right here in the promises of God's word. Like, we run to worry and anxiety when God calls out to us and says, run to me. Right? You see it? God the Father calls out to us by the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus has done, he says, he says, when that anxiety creeps in, remember these words, Philippians 4, that I have for you here. Come to me. Give your requests to me. Don't, don't give your requests to worry. Give your requests to me. Give thanks for what you, what you do have right now, like it says, with thanksgiving in our text, and then, and then ask for what you need. Come to me. Give it to me. And, and, and keep doing it. So I get this text from my sister. Let's just, let's just rehearse it a, a different way that I want to go about this in light of what God's word says this morning, and you can translate this to your own scenario, or the scenario that might be coming in the future. Like, I get the text message from my sister, and so, what's my first response? Well, my first response is prayer. Not the bullet points in my head of all the catastrophic outcomes. Like, Nope, I'm going to pray. I'm not in control. I'm going to pray. I can't handle the situation, so I'm going to pray. But I might grab Kim or any of the kids that are home, and I would say, Grandma fell down, broke her arm, hit her head. Hey, let's pray right now. Maybe a prayer like this God, thanks so much for my mom. Thanks for her faithfulness to pray for us. Thanks for her provision to us for so many years. Thanks for her generosity to us. Thanks for loving us so well over the years. Lord, you know what she needs right now even more than we do. We're far away, but you are near. Lord, would you help her have peace in the chaos of these health problems? We greatly desire this for her in Jesus' name. Amen. You you feel how that might be Over time, the cumulative effect of that kind of response is going to lead to more blessing than just, like, meditating on the fact that I'm not in control and I can't do anything and I'm really, really worried. It's putting off and putting on. Right? And here's the deal. We have no indication in this text that when Paul says, guys, I want this to be your habit, that... That it's just like a one-time thing. Like, I think this is a lifestyle, right? It's going to be a lifestyle. Paul never says that we're going to do this only once. But what does he say? He says, in everything. In everything. Like, all circumstances that you find yourself in. Like, we live in this fallen world, and you've got media that gets rich off keeping you anxious and angry and scared. So it's doubly challenging. Like, you've got so many reasons to be just anxious out of your minds. And it's happening in our culture. The Bible says there's something you can do with that. Something you can do with that. In every circumstance where anxiety is knocking on your door, this is the repetitive pattern. This is the lifestyle. And man, I just meditating on this text this week, I'm, I'm, I think I'm trying to take it to heart. Like the the action plan is clear and simple. Not always easy, but clear and simple. And I find myself doing it. I got a call yesterday, situation that... Kim and I are serving as advisors, coaching, whatever. Uh, We're speaking into a situation that's really hard. And we're not in control. And it's bothering me. And I find myself this morning meditating on that situation. It's like, wait, okay, wait, 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 wait. I can't control the situation. I wish I could. I can't. So what am I going to do? Just sit around and be anxious? I could. I'm, I'm, I'm prone to that. It's like, nope. God's word, I'm going to remember it. All right, stop, and I'm going to pray. Lord, would you be the Lord of the situation? I can't handle this. It's over my head, but it's not over yours. And I thank you for the details of the situation, you know. <clears throat> but I'm already, already just in practicing this for three days intentionally because I'm studying it, I already, I already feel lighter. And I would just dare us as a church to give this formula a shot. Right? Anxiety creeping in, we can feel it coming, see it coming. What would happen if we memorize this verse as a way to fight for rejoicing, fight for gentleness, fight for putting off anxiety, putting on prayer and thankfulness? <clears throat> an encouraging verse, right? That, that God welcomes us to come to him. Like he doesn't say, you foolish child, how dare you be anxious? He says, bring that anxiety to me. I welcome you to bring it to me. First Peter says, cast your anxieties on, <clears throat> on him because he cares for you. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe says he cares for you. He cares that you're anxious. He says, I want you to give that to me. I want you to just habitually as a lifestyle, the anxiety comes in, talk to me about it. Right? Like if my wife was anxious all the time, just, just tightly wound, tight as a piano string, and she never brought that to me, like, that would, that would greatly diminish the quality of our relationship, right? the same with the Lord. He says, bring it to me. Bring it to me. <laughs> and then the promise of peace. See it there? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Like, you might feel, God, it's impossible for me to have peace in this scenario. Don't you see what I'm dealing with? But he says it's possible beyond your understanding. So it's, he understands why you might feel that way. But he's like, give it a shot. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The problem is many of us want the peace without the prayer. Many of us want the peace of God without the relationship with God and our relationship with God is facilitated in many ways through prayer talking to him crying out to him using the psalms as your language to cry out to him in the midst of the chaos it might not be instantaneous but God says that it will be will be what do we have We've got rejoicing. We've got gentleness, reasonableness. We've got battling anxiety with habitual lifestyle prayer leading to peace. And finally, we have thinking. Thinking. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, <clears throat> if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. So he says, finally, like, all right, I'm about to land on the plane with this letter. I'm about to sign off. What I really want for you guys, what you set your minds on is a really big deal. See, the, the whole context here is thinking. See at the end of verse 8? Think about these things. Have your mind filled with certain things. Consider what you take in. What is the content like? Now, this is kind of hard to pin down, right? Because in our minds, like thousands of things come into our minds we're exposed to thousands of different things with our ability of sense perception as human beings every single day, right? But Paul, I think, is just saying, again, I like the word fight. Like, it's not going to be easy, so I'm going to be committed to, to, to fight, right? He's saying, fight for this. Head in this direction. And, and I think verse 8, ultimately what it boils down to is like, what do you expose yourself to? He's asking his people and us to be thoughtful and discerning. Not just passive receivers of whatever's out there, not passively receiving, but proactively discerning. Okay? Not passively receiving, proactively discerning. Look at the list again. Is it true? Is it honorable? Just, pure, lovely, commendable. Would I commend this to somebody else? Like this show I'm watching right now, would I, would I commend it to somebody else? The social media thread, would I commend this to somebody else? Is it excellence? Is it worthy of praise? Does it cause me to just, man, praise God, Right? I want you to think about that. There's a lot we could say about this, but let me close with this by way of application. <clears throat> I just read this morning about the tragedy of what's happening in the Ukraine right now. And this tiny little detail I think is a gift from God because it totally applies to this text this morning. Thank you, God, for this illustration. Um, sometimes my sermon prep comes... The last minute. And that was this morning. Um, it was a gift of this illustration. So I read um, a New York Times article. It was an interview from somebody just talking about living on the front lines in Ukraine right now. And how do you just function in life? And it's, uh, it's an enlightening article. It's very, very sad. There's still some hope in it. But one of the things that caught my interest was he said the very, when the war first broke out, There was a ban on alcohol in the whole country. And like, what's that about? Well, the thinking is that we don't want anybody drunk. Why? Because you have to be ready to fight. You have to have a clear mind. Like poised and ready to launch to help in this war. And when you're in a war, it requires clear thinking. Drunkenness is the opposite of that, right? No alcohol. We need you ready to go. We're in a war. I think that's what Paul's getting at here in verse 8. Remember, the battle for their faith and their existence is on the front line. Their church planner's in prison. The temptation might be to give up and give in. There, there's this war out there, extreme pressure from out there. So you don't need to have a war in here in your mind where you can't think straight. Where you're just fighting to like think straight and be functional. He's saying because there's a war out there, we've got to be ready to go. And here's how you do it. You fight for your mind. Like what you think about and meditate on is a really, really big deal. Right? Like you can be greatly weakened by the things you take in. I mean, it's, I mean, this is like a, I say it all the time, and I, I feel like I harp on it too much. Give me grace because it's the example that is so easy. But it's like for me, I, the reason why I don't engage, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't do this. Um, it's just for me personally, uh, the reason why I don't get on Facebook anymore is because I noticed that my anxiety and anger were just creeping up after half an hour of scrolling and reading comments. This is many years ago. Like, and I just don't want to carry that stuff around. I got a wife, I got kids, I got a church I'm trying to love and lead, and, and like, I don't have time to, like, I don't want to waste my emotional money on something that doesn't matter. Like, I got other things that matter. Like, I got to be ready to go. Like, I don't have time to be, I mean, I got nothing, temptation, anxiety, and anger in other places in my life. I don't need to make it easier. You know what I mean? And so I think that's really what, so I'm saying, like, there's not a lot here, for me at least, that's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely. Like, the comment section on Twitter, it's like, oh, barf. It's just like, what in the world? And Christians, it's like, I, I don't like I'm out, I'm out, right? Because of other priorities. Does that make sense? And I think that's what Paul's saying here. Now, whatever, do your thing with social media, but the, 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 th- the point here is, consider it. Like, am I ready to go? Because the Bible assumes that we're in a war, right? What does Ephesians 6 say? We, we battle not against flesh and blood, right? It's a battle. So when the heat of conflict comes, when the heat of pandemics and natural disasters come, when the heat of, uh, the literal heat of a house fire comes, what we fill our minds with, what we think about, what we consume, is it, is it verse 8 kind of stuff? Paul says, be discerning. What you think about is a really big deal. What you meditate on is a really big deal. Like why the psalmist says, Psalm 1, on your law I meditate day and night. Right? So let's let's fight for these things that, that Paul calls us to here. Rejoicing in the Lord. Letting our reasonableness, gentleness be evident in light of God risen from the dead, Lord of history. Our hope is in Him. We're putting off anxiety. We're putting on, Lord, I'm thankful for this, and I'm gonna give you this anxiety. I'm going to come to you in it. I'm going to think about what I think about. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it shapes us and helps us. We ask, Lord, that you would um, give grace to us by the power of your spirit to live in light of what you have for us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.